Hello, listeners, and welcome to Episode 8 of the Always Drive Podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries, where we take ourselves about as seriously as Warren Beatty does anyone who hands him an envelope after Sunday. I'm your host, Devlin Riggs, and if you're new to the show after our syndication over iTunes, by all means, welcome. It's been uh, two months since I've been doing this show, and I'm still eager to hear your feedback on what works and what doesn't work and what you'd like to hear more of, so please send that in. Uh, In the run-up to the Geneva Auto Show, there have been more leaks than my dog has been leaving in the front room, so there's a lot to cover. Let's jump right into the news. First up this week, Audi landed on top of the Consumer Reports brand ranking, which ranks the worst and best brands uh, in combining the scores for predicted reliability, road testing, safety, and owner satisfaction. Uh, Audi was followed by Porsche, BMW, Lexus, Subaru, Kia, Mazda, Tesla, Honda, and Buick. Uh, surprisingly, Toyota, you might have heard, was not on that list of the top 10. They actually placed 11th. Now, uh, Consumer Reports notes that Audi's stellar road test scores pushed it to the top despite other automakers scoring higher in things like satisfaction, where Subaru always scores highly, and reliability, where Mazda, Kia, apparently now, (laughs) Lexus, and Honda always score high. So, um... As you might expect, Fiat Chrysler brands, however, landed on the bottom, uh, Fiat being dead last, as they were in the reliability rankings, and Jeep was second to last. Now, the punchline, of course, in this story is that Fiat Chrysler cars continue to be bought by people. Uh, Second up, um, the Washington Post reported this week that court documents have been filed alleging that Honda, Ford, BMW, Toyota, and Nissan were all aware of the defects that caused Takata airbags to potentially harm or kill motorists, but still used them because they were saving on costs. Um, the documents allege that they knew about this for more than a decade, which is incredible. Um, this comes after Takata entered a guilty plea as part of a deal with the Justice Department, uh, which also required the company to pay a billion dollars in fines and restitutions to restitution to the automakers and to victims. Uh, Takata admitted that they provided automakers with false safety information, which automakers tend to think gets them off the hook, but the victims are alleging that the manufacturers knew about the failures in independent testing and still did nothing. So it remains to see how this is going to shake out because these are still just allegations right now. But if they're true, um, I don't have legal expert Mike Labazetta as my co-host this week, but I'm sure he would say something about culpable liability or or some, some other fancy words. Uh, anyway, on the heels of that, Ford has also issued a recall for 32,000 cars for, you guessed it, Takata airbags. Uh, now, Norway uh, has plans to achieve uh, a total elimination of uh, internal combustion engines by 2025, and they plan to achieve this through a tax plan and not a vehicle ban. Now, electric vehicles took 22% of the market in Norway last year in 2015, uh, whereas in the U.S. they only make up about 0.5% of all vehicle sales. 
Uh, Norway has been providing incentives for electrical vehicles since 1990. And those EVs have access to bus lanes, free parking, and they're exempted from tolls. So they're really taking the carrot versus the stick approach right now. But I think as they approach 2025, there are going to be higher taxes that they place on internal combustion engines that will really push people towards EVs. Um, now, to comply with uh, the need for infrastructure, Norway is going to need about 25,000 public electric vehicle charging ports by 2020. There are only 1,350 of them in 2015, so there's a lot of work to be done. Um, but I understand that Norway would be building them faster if the country could afford it. Next up in their quest to continually alienate the generation that has been their cash cow for the past several decades, Toyota has followed up their aggressive new Camry with a partnership with Burton Snowboards. Uh, the sponsorship is apparently part of the annual Burton U.S. Snowboard Championships, and this is ahead of an exclusive Olympic sponsorship that Toyota has coming up. Um, next in Toyota's marketing, I would expect the use of the word extreme, uh, probably spelled with multiple X's, and be on the lookouts for uh, a new uh, BMX deal or maybe a sponsorship of a Dave Mira game or something. I don't know. Uh, millennials, though, are starting to buy cars, which um, should be a surprise to nobody. Uh, they're the fastest growing segment among car buyers and likely will represent about 40% of U.S. new car buyers by 2020. Last, year's, uh, or last year, millennials purchased about 4.1 million vehicles in the U.S., uh, which accounted for 29% of the market. Now, they're the second largest market behind baby boomers who still buy 35% of all vehicles, but they're ahead of at Gen X, actually. Um, now, the Great Recession is credited with uh, really pushing millennials to enter the vehicle market later. That, combined with high student debt and just high debt in general, because things cost more now. Um, but manufacturers are starting to cater to the preferences of millennials, which uh, means you know more aggressive styling, like on the new Camry, and uh, with crossovers. Um, industry analysts have uh, commented that millennials are buying cars not because they want them, which is primarily the uh, driving force behind why baby boomers buy cars. Um, they're buying cars because they need them. So you're seeing practicality sort of be king, uh, which is why you know they're buying crossovers and compact sedans and, uh, and hatchbacks and why muscle cars are just languishing on dealer lots for ages. Um, their primary budget of uh, millennials is, is really the limiting factor in what they can, what they, what types of cars they can afford, which is why you see a lot of compact cars and compact CUVs and SUVs rolling off of lots and into millennial hands. They spend typically around uh, thirty thousand dollars as the max on vehicles, which is below the industry average price of thirty-four grand. Uh, now, combined with the recent studies showing millennials are the worst drivers. I'm sure this only means really good things for your commute. Moving on to Europe, um, suddenly everything becomes clear. It was announced this week that Peugeot Citroen DS, the PSA group, um, is actually interested in buying Opel because of the Ampera E, which is the European version of the Chevy Bolt which is, of course, the new EV Chevy has come out with with the 263-mile range, which is fantastic. Um, 
PSA wants in on this tech, and GM has said that it will license patents for certain models, including the Ampera E, but only if PSA keeps the vehicles out of North America, Russia, and China, which are... It's a it's a tall ask because those are very growing economies, especially China. Uh, so uh, another problem that Opel <laughs> is running into with the PSA potential purchase is Opel's really bare pension fund. Apparently, according to Bloomberg, the retirement plan is underfunded by about $9 billion. Um, according to clo- sources close to the negotiations... PSA really wants GM to shoulder a sizable part of that financial burden because it was under GM that the pension costs got to that much debt. Um, GM responded promptly with two middle fingers. Um, In motorcycle news, um, HJC, which is a popular helmet maker, has been uh, making Marvel-themed helmets for some time. And they've been seeing a lot of success with their Captain America, Iron Man, Punisher, Spider-Man, and Venom helmets. So they figured, why stop there? And they are releasing uh, two new ones. Uh, Deadpool, which uh, makes sense following the success of the Deadpool movie, which I thought was awesome. And Ghost Rider, which if you're not a comic book geek, uh, Ghost Rider was a sort of undead superhero Uh, whose head was a skull, which was on fire. Um, Unfortunately, the helmet will not feature actual flames, but will actually just feature painted-on flames, which, to me, sort of ruins the aesthetic, because Ghost Rider, uh, I mean, in the name Ghost Rider, he was a rider of motorcycles, so of superhero helmets to have... That one is one that makes the most sense, but of course they're not going to put like a gas line up to a helmet and have flames coming off of it because that would just be too freaking cool. Anyway, uh, the Nurburgring ring time has been beaten. Uh, the Porsche 918, which held the time for uh, quite a while, but clocking in just under seven minutes, has been beaten by the new Lamborghini Huracan, I think is the correct pronunciation, which clocked in five seconds faster at just over six minutes and 52 seconds. Understandably, the only people who give a shit about this are Porsche, because Nürburgring times are about as useful as, well, a flaming motorcycle helmet. So that's it for the news. Let's look at some new cars that came out this week. First up, and probably the car I am most excited about at the Geneva Auto Show, is the production version of the Alpina A110, which adheres really closely to the Alpina Vision concept we saw about a year ago. Uh, Now this car is going to have a turbocharged four-cylinder engine from the Renault Clio RS with something between 250 and 300 horsepower. It should be very lightweight. Um, weighing, they speculate, about 400 kilograms less than uh, Porsche Cayman. Now, they're expecting a 4.2 second 0 to 60 or so, according to Autocar, but Autocar also claimed that the Supra was going to fall under the Gazoo sub-brand for Toyota, so take that with a grain of salt. Uh, Alpina says that this car will be sold across five continents, 
So hopefully that includes the U.S. and not just Canada, which has more lax safety and emissions regulations. But Renault, the parent company, has been gone from the U.S. since 1987. Uh, now, this could come over as a Nissan or maybe an Infiniti. Size-wise, it really could be the successor to the 240SX, but at about $59,000, it's really not in the same ballpark price-wise. It's even about twelve grand more than the, the Porsche Cayman with which it's supposed to compete. But I'm really looking forward to this car and can't wait till it comes out. Next up, Lexus has uh, unveiled the LCF, which is... Uh, uh, 600 horsepower twin turbo 4 liter V8 version of the LC350 or 500. Uh, car and driver expects the car to debut at the Tokyo Auto Salon upcoming in October. So we're seeing it well in advance of that. It's going to have new aero package, new wheels and tires, as well as some new suspension and brakes, and the 10 speed auto transmission because. Who has a car with just nine gears these days, right? Just the stupid peasants. Um, what's interesting is going to be if this shares anything with the new Supra, which, of course, Toyota is co-developing with BMW. The LC500 coupe starts at 92000 so how much is this car going to cost? I mean, finally, we're going to get some competition for the GTR, um, which, of course, uh, they call Godzilla, which I guess makes this the Lexus Mothra? I don't know. Um, uh, this week, we also got to see the face that bears Mitsubishi's dynamic shield design, the new Eclipse Cross. Um, it looks like an Outlander with its proportions shrunk down, which is to say ugly. Uh, it has a really steeply raked rear window, um, which, of course, gives it a coupe-like profile, they say. Um, it, it's a shame that it couldn't give it a coupe body um like the old eclipse used to have um there have been lots of comparisons uh in jalopnik and the truth about cars with the back end of this thing looking like a pontiac aztec and they are not wrong of course it has one of the new ipad on the dash infotainment screens which if you've heard from some of my prior podcasts uh you know how i feel about those uh unfortunately uh <laughs> This is still called the Eclipse, and it is not anything like the Eclipse that everyone knows. Um, Peugeot, though, is brightening our day with a new shooting brake concept called the Instinct, which uh, showcases the French brand's future autonomous plans. The full reveal is going to happen next week at the Geneva Auto Show, um, and they say that this is a design study and definitely won't make it into production, which is a shame because it's really pretty. Um, this car is loaded with tech. They say that it's intended to maintain the pleasure of driving, according to uh, designer Matthias Hossan. Uh, they said you can decide to drive or you can decide to sleep or read. Um, it's really connected, uh, as well as to connected to the Internet of Things, which is like Amazon Alexa or Google Home. Um, and can interface with smart homes, uh, smart watches, smartphones, or um, probably smart toilets if they make such a thing. Um, they say it'll sync with your smartwatch, so it'll know when you're very tired, say like you're coming home from the gym. So the vehicle will automatically switch to autonomous soft mode, which will help you drive better because it knows you're tired. Um, 
if it knows that you didn't do enough exercise yesterday, that's right, your car is creeping on you, it will park you, if you're in autonomous mode, a little further from your destination, so you have to walk more to stay fit. Um, This is a great car for people who want to be pissed off at their car for making them walk because they like being fat. Um, It's going to be a 300-horsepower plug-in hybrid powertrain in this concept, And I I wrote recently about the fact that concept cars aren't meant for us. They're meant for designers and for executives and for marketers. And this is really one case where I wish wish that wasn't true. I wish we could see this, uh, see production. But of course, since it's a Peugeot, we wouldn't see it in America anyway. Honda has announced a new car. It's a new Clarity. Of course, if you're thinking you've heard the Honda Clarity before, that's because they make a hybrid Clarity and a fuel cell Clarity. This, however, is an EV Clarity. Now you're thinking, oh, great, Honda EV. Is that going to have the Chevy Bolt's 238-mile range? No. Is it going to have the 215-mile range of the Tesla Model 3? No. Is it going to have the Honda Ionics 124-mile range? No. The new Honda Clarity is going to have the same miles of range as the 7-year-old Nissan Leaf did. Uh, 80 miles of range that they say is the result of cost savings to fit the tech of the EV battery and motor into the existing Clarity platform and still keep it within a $35,000 budget. Um, at, this, at this range, you know, Nissan Leaf was really the pioneer of the phrase range anxiety, and this Honda is not going to do anything to advance that. Uh, and having owned or partially owned a Honda Civic for the last eight years or so, I know that they're bulletproof cars and they're great, but for thirty-five grand, and that's going to be the selling price of the Chevy Bolt, would I rather have a, a Honda, which I know is made well, or a Chevy that's going to take me about four times as far as the comparable Honda? I, I got to say I'd go with the Chevy. Um, Porsche also unveiled the Panamera Sport Turismo this week, which is basically a Panamera wagon. Um, It has the same trends as the sedan Panamera and comes with a nifty adaptive roof spoiler because you can never have too many spoilers, and if you put them on the roof, that just makes it even cooler. Um, It's going to be just like the E63 MG wagon uh, with its price range being out of the realm of reasonable consideration for any normal people. Um, I mean, it looks gorgeous. I really like the new Panamera. I was not on board with the first generation, but the second generation really looks ace. But if you thought Porsche purists were pissed when they first started building an SUV, imagine how they must feel now that they're building a station wagon. Uh, Finally, in new car news, the Ford Fiesta ST second generation was announced, and it is going to have a three-cylinder turbocharged EcoBoost engine. Um, This is going to come as kind of a shock to people who thought that the ST was the fast model of the Fiesta, but the fact is it's going to have the same power, the same 0 to 60 time, and probably less weight because it's lopping off a cylinder of the engine. That could mean better handling from an already good handling car. Not to mention that the European model is apparently supposed to obtain a 55 mile per gallon combined rating. 
Inside, it's going to get new seats that uh, replace the old ones, which were apparently crap. Uh, it gets a new steering wheel, a bunch of new materials, and unfortunately, it gets artificial noise pumped in through speakers, which is just one of my least favorite things in new cars. They can't be bothered to tune an exhaust, so they have to put fake noise in the cabin. Uh, I think if I owned one of those, my first uh, task would be swapping out the exhaust and turning that damn thing off. Uh, apparently, it's also going to, going to include torque vectoring, the new Sync 3 infotainment system, and three driving modes, uh, as well as a retuned chassis from the standard Fiesta, which has a bigger, wider track, which can only help the handling even more. I can honestly not wait to drive one of these cars, but with that stupid engine noise thing turned off. That is it for new cars. Uh, there were no obituaries this week. No cars were killed off, but after seeing Mitsubishi's new car, it's kind of like the Eclipse died all over again. So let's go ahead and jump into our deep dive. This week, Jalopnik's Tom Parland penned an article on how the Hyundai Genesis has become an insanely good used luxury car value. On the face of it, he's not wrong. It can be had with either a V6 or a V8, both of which have plenty of power, and they have creature comfort, more common to high-end Mercedes and BMWs. Uh, they're very plush, comfortable places to be, uh, whether driving or riding, but having driven one, I just couldn't agree. I found that despite the figures and features, I just couldn't get into it. There was nothing special about it. But what exactly does make a car special? The day I drove the Genesis, I drove the 5-liter V8, by the way. I also drove the Jaguar XF V8, the Infiniti M45 V8, and the Infiniti Q50S Hybrid V6, and... Unlike the Hyundai, the others had special qualities that made them memorable. The Jag had a perfect growl, a tune that just had me punching the gas, even on a stretch of road where I knew cops commonly hid. It was just intoxicating. The M45's power was immense, and it just kept swelling the car forward, uh, even more so than the Jag, and merging onto the freeway or taking off from traffic lights just put a huge smile on my face. And the Q50 Hybrid and its front midship chassis just carved up the corners, handling like it was on rails, even with that stupid, strange, adaptive steering that took some getting used to. It really reminded me of my old G35. Each of these cars was flawed, though. The Jag made a loud screeching sound when it turned right. The Infiniti's interior was dated and didn't look like it really belonged in a luxury car, which also reminded me of my G35. The Q50S hybrid's drivetrain couldn't decide when it wanted to be in electric or gas mode, and the sputtering power delivery was really frustrating and unpredictable. Yet, I preferred each of these to the Hyundai because they each had something that made the experience enjoyable, whereas the Genesis just felt sterile, numb, and generic. When you think of sterile, numb, and generic, though, maybe the first car that'll come to mind is the Civic, the ace of base in the car world. An entry-level vehicle aimed squarely at no-frills A-to-B driving, 
without a thought put into power or excitement or driver engagement. But if you happen upon a local car meetup anywhere between 1990 and about 2002, what was the car that you would probably see the most? It was the Honda Civic. And it wasn't because it was anything special out of the box, but because tuners and customizers made them special. They took a car that was light and chuckable and added some personality, their own, to each car. And no two, except for maybe the car doubles and the Fast and the Furious, were the same. Maybe owners can do the same thing with the Genesis. Swap in an exhaust and let that big bore V8 sing. Add some anti-roll bars and springs and help the heavy beast cope in the corners. Go nuts with fiberglass and make a Bosozoku VIP sedan rolling on 24s. That would be awesome. In truth, it is a good value. Even the V6s started around thirty-four grand used, but you get a lot of car for your money. But the personality, the thing that makes them special, that'll be up to you. And for the Genesis, just like it was for the Civic or the, the Eclipse or any number of those sort of cars, that's okay. And that's going to bring us to this week's call to action. In another segment topic inspired by Jalopnik, they posted a question recently asking readers what the worst thing was about being a car enthusiast. A few responses varied from everything I want is too expensive and all the good cars are in Europe and Japan to my English Roadster's electrical gremlins and just the PT Cruiser. But what stood out to me was the number of respondents with simple two-word answers. Other enthusiasts. And it's true, especially online, that a lot of the people who share a passion for the same things we do view their fellow petrolheads as competitors rather than family and regularly barb one another with accusations about whose car is faster, whose truck is stronger, or even whose passion for cars is legitimate. Raise your hand if you've ever heard a phrase that started, you're not a real car enthusiast if... And then it's finished with something along the lines of, you don't drive a manual, or you drive a Japanese car, or your car is front-wheel drive. While this is often confined to the internet, where the safety of anonymity protects the insecure stone throwers, these sorts of interactions don't demonstrate superior knowledge or more valid memberships to the Petrolhead Society. They alienate individuals who might just be getting into cars, bikes, trucks, or whatever. And it's not just limited to automotive enthusiasts. Go on any photography blog and you'll see an endless thread of put-downs and pile-ons for other people's photos, which, let's not forget, photography is a subjective art. So this week, let's try to be more supportive of one another. I'm not just saying that so I get good comments and feedback about the podcast, because I really do want to hear from my listeners and subscribers. But you never know what other people are going through, and if they care about something and want to do it, and want to get better at it. They deserve our praise, not our derision. Let's let the things that we have in common bring us together and not drive us apart. And with that, I thank you for listening, and thanks again to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song. In the spirit of small turbo engines like the new Fiesta ST is getting, I'll leave you with one of the best-sounding, worst cars you can buy, a Fiat 500 Abarth SS. Here, friends is your moment of zen.